hear those three letters, your day just got better. And wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to ELC. Woo! Especially if you're one of our geeks in Seeks, using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run. Or hey, maybe, maybe you're out there in the grocery store deciding to listen to us while you're shopping for your groceries. If that's the case, oh, we're going to be with you in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be. And that is completely free. Thanks to our patrons at patreon.com slash DLC pod. They bring the show to you. Their generosity, their support means we get to keep making these. And boy, are we grateful. In exchange, they get some cool stuff, including ad-free versions of the show, video versions of the show, on-demand, and a whole bevy of bonus content, including the Wednesday Paid DLC program with Lana Bashinsky joining us to talk about your prompts. We, we talk to the patrons. We go back and forth about what they want to talk about. Some really cool bonus episodes there lately as well. You got to check those out. Plush, plus, plush, plush. No plush, no plushies. <laughs> Maybe we should look into plushies. But plus, feeling this? Feeling this, the show where Alex Solman joins Christian Spicer to talk about the feelings behind video games. You also get the DLC Book Club as an audio podcast. The only place you can get that is being a patron. So much stuff to look into. Check it out. Patreon.com slash DLC pod. And you can also sign up for a whole year at once if that's more convenient for you. We appreciate all the new patrons that have joined up in the new year. But this show, the main show, DLC, it's the show all about games in their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. Also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Canada. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host, slash nemesis the guy who's running sixth in the iowa straw poll mr christian spicer hello christian hello jeff hello everyone uh if you're not seeing the video of this um you people should see the video of this but they should go on patreon or maybe i'll put a picture up on social uh dlc hype train this might be year 11 but jeff canada has never looked better like a baby's behind. So fresh and smooth, my friend. You're looking great. Uh, you paved the way for me, sir, by paving your own face. Uh, Christian had the, <laughs> the mustache for, for weeks and then shaved the mustache. Now I'm, I'm beardless for the first time in, I don't know, since, I, since my eye exploded back in 2018, 2019. Uh, so it's been a minute since I uh, didn't have a beard, but I uh, had, to, had to shave for work. For a, I won't go, get into it, but it's... Uh, it's uh it's weird to look at yourself in the mirror and not recognize that person. <laughs> it's weird. Anyway, um we we're not going to talk facial hair much. We got a big show for you <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. We got some cool news to dig into. We got really interesting games that we have been playing and we have an awesome guest to do all of that with. You know the DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian, but this week Oh, I'm excited because DLC stands for declaring a list of choices because we have the author of video game of the year breaking down the 40 year history of the world's most popular art form one video game at a time as well 
as senior analyst at PC Mag. Jordan Miner joins us for the first time. Hey, Jordan. What's up? That was smooth to get the letters in there because I'm like, my name doesn't have any of that. <laughs> <laughs> I try. I try. Hey, man, uh, we are big fans of your book. It's really cool. Video game of the year. Uh, the idea being you picked one single video game to represent every year from 1977 to 2022, right? Yep. Yeah, it's a video game history book, and that's the whole gimmick is the struct of the structure of it is to use a game to represent the most important games, most influential games, or just to kind of represent some sort of broader topic, but to take this whole massive, complicated and crazy thing that is game history and make it really kind of episodic and approachable and digestible. It seems like uh, an impossible task to select. I mean, some years, maybe it's obvious, right? 1977, Pong. You got to go with Pong, right? How do you not? Uh, Pac-Man in 1980. Some of, the, some of the years feel like, yeah, yeah, obvious. But man, there are some years that must have been very challenging to, to select only one game. Yeah, that was part of the fun was to kind of lean into that challenge and be forced to make some of those picks. Versus, you know, you can just make a like a kind of generic best games of all times list and just be like, oh, of course, XYZ games will be on here. But if you're yeah. limiting yourself to one per year like this. You got to make some hard decisions of like 1998 has Half-Life and Starcraft and Pokemon Red and Blue and Ocarina of Time. And that chapter is on Metal Gear Solid. So you kind of just sort of have to lean into um, I got to make this pick and also just kind of lean into the subjectivity of like, it's my opinion and disagree. If you want, you, you bought the book. <laughs> so i love that you picked 1998 because we just did a mock draft uh for our our paid dlc show our uh, uh, bonus patron show uh we did a mock draft of that year where we had to select our uh, you know compile a list of the best games and man it, it is an amazing year of video games you you named a bunch of the big hitters uh, and it's cool that you picked metal gear solid i think that kind of makes sense from a certain although i i i would I probably would argue for StarCraft or Half-Life in there. StarCraft is the – every chapter has a runner-up as well. And StarCraft ah. is the runner-up and probably my personal favorite game of all time. Oh, really? Wow, yeah. so you didn't even pick your personal favorite game. Yeah, because I knew I was going to do a World of Warcraft chapter, and that would be kind of – that would have more of the Blizzard stuff in that chapter. So it's like – Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. So I, I also it, – it does seem to me that looking over the list of, of games that you sort of use other years to – to make up for you know like for example um i see uh you know like a uh, like a super smash brothers ultimate probably mm-hmm. made up made up for not having a smash brothers earlier in the years uh right, yeah. interesting or like strategy vice, or like vice city as the gta as opposed yes. to like three right. or you know five, five or something yeah yeah or yeah. having or having counter-strike represent valve as opposed right. to half-life or portal or something it's, it's really cool. And what a neat exercise. Uh, a fun, fun book. Uh, people have to check it out. Um, again, one game for, you know, from 1977 all the way to 2022. So 40, 40 games there. Uh, and you got even brought in some guest um, essayists to contribute um, for the year 2021, right? Uh, for every, every, there's oh. 70, every, there's 75 different guest writers. So they, all their picks are dispersed throughout. Um, 2021 is entirely guest picks i think that's what you're probably what you're yeah, to. right but every chapter has stuff from other writers as well from you know from my pc mag colleagues from people from ign and, and polygons who are our, our mutual friend davindra hardware right. uh, yep. is in there so you know if it's mostly my opinions but those people also bring 
other games that aren't listed into the book and are disagreeing with me openly sometimes. So it's you get it feels a lot more definitive when it's not just one guy's takes, I think. Really cool stuff. Again, that game the, the book is called Video Game of the Year. Um, and uh, you know, check it out. I think it's perfect for our audience and really a fascinating uh, exercise. Yeah, a lot right. of incredible artwork I love too from Ray yeah. McDonald. So, yeah. Really cool stuff. Forward by Dan Reichert, yes. a, a friend of the show. Um, all right, well, let's uh, let's jump in and talk about uh, the stuff that, that we love to talk about here, starting with Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. You can also send us comments, questions, anything you'd like us to know. We love hearing from you at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. You can also visit our Discord, hang out with like-minded folks, talk about games, talk about the show, talk about anything you like. Really cool, vibrant community there on the discord that's five by five dlc on discord uh but jordan you are our guest so you get first pick of stories what would you consider to be your story of the week uh this story about hi-fi rush and potentially other xbox games um going to to non-xbox consoles i think is yeah this you know this started as a rumor but it really has caught fire over the last several days uh everybody uh, seems to have a, a strong opinion about this, but uh, you know, as as a rumor, it does seem to have um, some legs and some you know uh, some teeth to it. It feels like this really is corroborated by a number of sources. Uh, it started from a YouTuber called Nate the Hate, who uh, shared uh, on their website or on their uh, podcast that uh, that there was going to be a game of the year contender from from this year that might show up on switch. Uh, and then a number of other sites picked this up, including windows central, which is uh, reporting that Microsoft is considering doing this uh, with a number of their titles. Uh, but it does seem to be the case that hi-fi rush may end up on switch and who knows where else this is clearly a big, uh, you know, this is a Bethesda title. This was a big game um, in the, in the cap, a big feather in the cap of, Game Pass last year. Uh, and I'm curious, uh, Jordan, what you think about this. Um, is it, as some people are uh, predicting, a you know a, the, <laughs> the end of exclusives or the beginning of the end of exclusives? Or is this just kind of a one-off smart business practice from Microsoft? What's your take? Uh, it's, it's really interesting. Well, one, I just love that game. So if more people have a chance to play it, then fantastic. I think it makes sense on Switch. It's got that great kind of cel-shaded art style. It's not super long. Um, so more people playing that game is just fantastic. Um, but Xbox is just a, just a weird position of Microsoft being this gigantic company, um, but is consistently in third place hardware-wise and having to think of ways to sort of stay relevant that isn't tethered to their consoles winning, which is not going to happen. It also feels like another kind of consequence of the, their, their merger strategy of just getting so gigantic and then having to do these concessions to like stop the government from breaking them up. But like, <laughs> right. like, look, we're not a monopoly. If we're going to pull out, you know, if we, if we strategically put our stuff on other systems, we commit to this call of duty thing that, I think they think that if they if they if they get out ahead of it and do moves like this and 
then that creates the appearance that it's okay for them to swallow up the whole industry, which I still yeah. don't like, but. Well, you know. also this week we saw that Microsoft uh, overtook Apple as the most valuable company on the planet earth, which uh, I was a bit surprised by. Um, but you know, there we are again. So, you know, it's not like they're in, in any danger of, of, um, you know, losing, <laughs> losing right. so much money that they have to get out of the hardware business or anything like that. Right. They're not just some little guy. Like they try right. to posture at sometimes. But... Yeah. Yeah. I do not think this means that Microsoft is going third party or is somehow going the way of Sega and it's like abandoning their hardware business and just deciding to put their titles on everywhere. I, I don't, I think that is a, a bit overblown to suggest that, that it means that. And clearly, you know, Christian, we saw MLB The Show, for example, uh, a Sony first-party game show up on other platforms as well. You know, this is not unprecedented, uh, but it does seem to indicate a a more strategic move from Microsoft uh, as opposed to, uh, I guess, more of a blunder on Sony's part in that case. But uh, I'm wondering what you make of uh, the fact that this might be the first in a series of titles that were previously first-party Xbox exclusives going elsewhere. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't believe MLB The Show going up to Xbox and Game Pass was a Sony decision. <laughs> I could be wrong. There are other contractual parties involved in those uh, negotiations with that license. Uh, I think here there's precedent for it, right? I mean, Microsoft owns um, Minecraft. It's everywhere. Several of those other Minecraft games have gone other places. Um, well, Ori, to be fair, just really quick, in that case, Microsoft became the owner after it was everywhere. Isn't Dungeons other places already? I think I think some of the subsequent mm. Minecraft games have gone. Fair point. Yeah, other places. Um, and or the Ori games are on Switch. I, I think this is likely a Microsoft looked at the sale tail or the you know the the curve of what this game was selling and what some of these games are selling and what's a potentially easy port to get extra revenue. And at the same time, I think it makes a a really good advertisement for Game Pass. Anytime a game is on another system but free, quote unquote, on your system, that's a pretty dang good advertisement for Game Pass. Hey, this Hi-Fi Rush, the game of the year of 2023 or a game of the year 2023 is now available on Nintendo Switch for whatever, I don't know, however much it is, $49.99 or on Game Pass. You know, like, I think that's compelling. It gets the game back in the mind share. But the other one that's been rumored is Sea of Thieves. I think that makes a lot of sense to go multi-platform. So I, I think it makes sense. And I think... We're seeing companies be open to things that maybe they weren't before. This next example I'm going to give isn't the same as their game going to another platform. But I think similarly, what the partnership between Nintendo and Ubisoft, I think would have been unheard of, you know, maybe 10 years ago with Nintendo giving a prize IP to someone to do not make the next version of it, not Capcom doing a one-off Zelda or Sega doing an F-Zero. This is you take our character Mario and put them in your game how you want kind of approach with Mario and Rabbids. And so I think we're seeing companies be smarter with that and a little looser with it and ultimately trying to make money <laughs> wherever they can. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, you know, I'm hopeful that this can be 
more common. I, I I don't think there's anything that dilutes the 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 brand of Xbox because there are some exclusives that eventually show up elsewhere. And I think Jordan, you bring up a great point with this. You know, the stuff like Call of Duty and and what they're forced to do in order to get the Activision merger to happen. Like that that's already in the works, and that's already the, that ball is moving. And why not explore other options in the same regard? You know, why not figure out ways that you can, you know, maximize the reach of some of these IP and especially games that had, you know, an exclusivity window per se. Like it wasn't intended that way, or maybe it wasn't thought of that way initially, but it has turned out that way or will turn out that way by saying, hey, it was on Xbox first. It was on Xbox exclusive for a period of time. And now we're going to bring it to other consoles. I think that would be great. And I kind of feel like it's a bit similar to what Sony has done in embracing the PC market, bringing Mm. so many of their first party titles, Horizon, Last of Us, so many of these stellar system seller type franchises onto PC. It's like, yeah, it comes first to PlayStation, but a year later, six months later, whatever it is, we'll bring it to PC. I don't think, uh, I don't think that hurts any platform and I think it actually helps or benefits players in general. I was going to say, yeah, all these, all these Xbox games have also been on PC this entire time. Right. Good, <laughs> point. Good point. So it's already you don't have to get them on Xbox necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It just happens to be that PC is another Microsoft platform. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, interesting to see how this will play out and if these rumors turn out to be true. I, I tend to think they will be. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how far Microsoft goes with this and how many uh titles they they bring and and you know sort of what caliber of title and how long they've already been out all of those will be i think interesting to track uh if this is a new strategic move for them christian what is your story of the week well last week for our parting gift uh we all talked about shows uh that are streaming that we were digging and this week we get more news and the streaming has not stopped. The streaming wars have not stopped and video games as TV shows is just getting warmed up. Yeah. And the, I get perhaps, perhaps the, the granddaddy, you know, the old senior citizen at this point of video game TV shows in this current modern era of live action video game TV shows is Halo. And we got the announcement that Halo AKA Master Chief's butt um, season two is coming. That's, right. uh, that's what we know it for, right? Like I'm not right. alone in that. 100%. That's what we know it for. <laughs> but we're getting season two soon. Uh, I believe it's February 8th is when season two comes. And I, Jeff, before I say what I'm going to say, let me ask you out of respect for our 11 years together. Did you watch this trailer? I watched the trailer. I did watch okay, the trailer. Okay, good. I, yes. I know normally, I Jeff, you don't watch you trailers. <laughs> Sometimes video game stuff you watch. Um, yes. I have said on this show I did not love season one. Um, did you watch all of it or just a portion of it? Uh, I had all of it on. <laughs> I don't know how much. Did I watch all of it? I mean, it was there. Um, I didn't love it. I didn't love it. The season two trailer looks really good good dare i say i i i think it looks really good i think they're doing what i was maybe hoping was going to be done the first season so i'm hesitant to say i'm excited but i'm curious um 
Jordan, your thoughts on maybe season one and, and if yeah, did you watch season, season one, Jordan? I watched the first couple episodes they had as like a screener because yeah. I wrote about it for PC Mag and I had to go reread that to remember what I thought about it, um, <laughs> which is probably telling. <laughs> yeah. um, I just remember thinking like, oh, they saw like Mandalorian and thought, oh, we could put our guy in armor too. And have him <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, you could do a show where a guy wears a mask the whole time. This is perfect. Yeah. But then he hold pulls on. the mask off at the end hold, of episode yeah, one. Yeah. Hold, hold on. He's going to take it off. Now he's going to take off his pants. All right. Here yeah. we go. Now we got a show. And just thinking like, oh, all these backgrounds. It's like these shows, you can just feel that they're all shot on like that. Maybe not exactly the volume, but like shot on that kind of a setup where we have these really crazy backgrounds, but all of our actors are not allowed to go back there at all because they don't exist. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, th- I, th- I thought, you know, they, they had this dilemma of having to make Master Chief into an actual character that could carry like a narrative. And I thought at least they made some choices in doing that. Um, that's, you know, I wouldn't want to be in that position. Though, but yeah, I, I'm in, in the same boat. I watched the first two episodes and I was like, ah, I'm good. I don't need to watch any more of this. Um, but I, you know, there was some things that I thought they did pretty well and um but it just didn't grab me i'm i'm i agree with you christian that the season two trailer looks pretty cool but trailers can look pretty cool you know (laughs) i think trailers are it's easy to make a trailer look pretty cool uh and who knows i do think it's interesting it does seem like season two of halo you know I guess, spoiler alert, not really, spo- I don't know anything about it. I haven't seen it. I just watched the trailer, but <laughs> yeah. it looks like season two is going to be having to do with the fall of reach, uh, you know, which is, we know very well from the, from the games. Um, but it's interesting to me that we have two full seasons of a show called halo and they haven't gotten to the halo. <laughs> We're going to get to the fireworks factory. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so uh, anyway, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm conflicted about this because on one hand I'm kind of rooting for it, but on the other hand, like, am I going to tune into season two? I, I, it does look to me, here's what I'll say. This is, I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing. It does look to me like I could jump into season two without having watched any more of season one and probably enjoy it. You know, I, I I think they need that to be the case. And I think Paramount plus has seen a subscriber bump you know hopefully right and so there are a lot of folks who have it now who didn't before and it, it needs to be approachable they need need you to have an excellent last season on or they need to ramp you up and get you in and i think jordan made a great point that in terms of giving these characters character is difficult i've read i think two of the novelizations or you know novel stories of in the halo universe and i remember really liking one and then the second one i read you know, by a pool some summer, uh, and it was fine. But I, I think it is a for folks who love it. And I apologize, I am not a deep Halo lore consumer. But I think for folks who love it, what they really love is a lot of that deep, nitty gritty, um, sci-fi stuff. You know, and, and the spiritual stuff where it, there's warring religions and is lying to folks and who betrayed who and what happened for millennia. And that is hard to do in a TV show. I think even that level of stuff, there are a few that have done it well. Maybe Battlestar, you know, kind of carries those lofty ambitions and and brings them across the finish line. And, but I think for most people, Master Chief is just a badass tough dude and that's a hard yeah. show for <laughs> for 22 right. episodes just to be like, I don't say anything. I get it. Like, what does Master Chief say in, in Halo Infinite? You know, like, h- how is that 
character compelling. I think he has one line where he's like, I respect him because he also kills people. And it's like, okay. <laughs> okay, okay. A lot about that's, a blue lady. That's a lot about a blue lady. There's <laughs> a lot about a blue lady. That's true. Uh, I, that's what's hard about a lot of video game adaptations is that, you know, most video games or not most, but a large portion of video games, you know, the player character is just a proxy for your actions, right? It's just a, a surrogate for whatever you want to Im- impose on it. And that doesn't work very well in a, in a traditional narrative, right? So you got to invent some stuff. And I, I, I kind of think that might be a problem they run into with the f- upcoming Fallout series too, where it's like those games are about whatever you want it to be about in a way. You know, it's, it's your tale of whatever you want to go, wherever you want to do. And in order to make a – it's not like Last of Us, you know? Last of Us is a very specific story about very specific characters, um, whereas a lot of these video games, it's here's a here's a world that has tapestry, has lore, but what you do in it is sort of up to you. And um, and I guess Halo isn't that exactly, but it is a bit of a blank slate, Master Chief. You know, right? And I feel like as creators, they need to, on one hand, really understand and respect the source material and stuff, but have the confidence to just completely rework it to suit their needs. Yeah. But then you run the risk of just angering the fans that like, no, it's got to be about him. He's got to care about that blue lady and that's it. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. Uh, I will say this trailer had a lot of energy sword and mm-hmm. I'm down for energy sword action. I'm, I'm into yeah. it. And I, I don't know if you want to know this, Jeff, but I've read all of the fallout TV show scripts and it really is just um, them trying to build a base poorly <laughs> <laughs> yeah. for 20 hours, just like me and fallout, just, just. building building a base poorly what are you doing todd help us <laughs> i need how much more lumber oh and i'm not um, saying the base building is poor and fallout for i'm saying me building a base is bad <laughs> that, that it the onus right. is on me there yeah yeah fair enough uh well we shall see uh, here's the question we'll end on with that topic is uh both of you are you going to dip back into season two jordan are you going to watch any of season two based on this trailer uh, I don't have Paramount Plus, and so this okay. probably if, if new old Frasier wasn't going to do it. Fair enough. Um, Christian Spicer, are you going to watch season two of Halo? Um, not sponsored. T-Mobile gives me access to Paramount Plus for free. Uh, there you go. I am a paying T-Mobile subscriber, and as one of their uncarrier whatever things, this is part of my thing. So yes, I will probably watch the premiere of season two. And then we'll go from there, Jeff. I can't promise anything after that. I'm hopeful. I hope – I sure as heck hope my answer is yes. Well, you're going to dip back in. Great. I mean that's that's all that they can hope for is they'll get another chance, another swing at you, you know? Yeah. 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 I don't know. I don't know what my answer is to that. Maybe I'll check out season two. T-Mobile.com. Use promo code DLC. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I wish. If they're listening. We're open to that. Um, anyway. Um <laughs> You know what? Since you teed up a sponsor, let's take a break for a sponsor. This episode of DLC is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, Christian, we get here to the to the new year and you start thinking about all the things you want to change about yourself. All the things, you know, you take an assessment and, and I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily to look in the mirror and say, hey, I want to make some resolutions to change some things. But sometimes it's useful also to kind of think about what you want to keep the same, what the successes that you've had over the last year, right? 
I definitely agree. I mean, we talked about resolutions, what was it, like maybe last week on a, an episode of Paid DLC. And I think thinking about things that you're doing well and want to continue are just as important as thinking about things that you're looking to add or change going forward, 100%. Yeah. And, you know, oftentimes people think about therapy as this process of, you know, working on the things that uh, are problematic in your life. And it certainly is that. But I also think therapy can be the kind of thing that helps you recognize the things about you that you like, the things that are going well, and help to put them into focus and really give yourself that moment of feeling good feeling good that you, Hey, you've done some things right in your life. Right. And continue to do them. You know, I, I, we've talked a lot about on this show and I think on this show and on paid DLC, I'm a big fan of consistency and the benefits that that brings to my life in particular. And I, I think other folks as well. And I think therapy is helpful in that regard as well. It is a, process <laughs> for yeah. me personally. And I think working through it and with it and continuing it um, is beneficial, whether it's the beginning of the year or the end of the year. Well, if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you do is fill out a brief questionnaire then you get matched with a licensed therapist. You can always switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit betterhelp.com slash DLC today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash DLC. All right. My story of the week, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it, this is an interesting one, not because I, I have a particular uh, association with this franchise, but I, I do think there's some interesting stuff to mine here. We got a, a big game announcement this week. Uh, Smite 2 was announced. Smite uh, is a uh, long-running uh, MOBA, a third-person action MOBA. This it, Smite, I believe, was one of the first to kind of switch up the MOBA POV and not have it be that traditional, you know, Dota... Yeah slash uh league of legends um you know top-down perspective that was what the origins of the entire subgenre came from starcraft um and smite said oh let's make it into a you know a full 3d third person action perspective and um i'm not sure it was the first one to do that but it was one of the first i jumped in and played smite the first smite uh i don't know 10 years ago when it first came out uh played i had a good good time with it but it has been going strong ever since has a really a thriving community around uh, Smite. I know a lot of people really dig it. Uh, interesting to me that they have announced Smite 2. This will be uh, on Unreal Engine 5. And it actually not only is a new standalone game, but it really kind of is a an update of the first Smite. They're updating um, the uh, a lot of the, the gods that you play as, the, the champions in that game. Uh, they're updating the UI. They're updating a lot of stuff into this new, you know, Unreal Engine 5 uh, look and feel. It's going to, you know, be prettier. Um, they're changing some of the base maps and adding new stuff. But basically, it's it's an update to Smite 1, a visual update, tweaks on some of the gameplay stuff. But they're doing it as a numbered sequel. And And what is most interesting to me about this story 
is that they will continue to support the first Smite. So mm. uh, Titan Forged Games, which is the creator of Smite, says they will run both games simultaneously, that they will be running in parallel, at least for the foreseeable future, so that they won't force anybody to upgrade into Smite 2. Um, but they hope that people will want to, but they're going to continue to support Smite 1 uh, going forward. And so, Jordan, I'm I'm so curious about this strategy because I, we've seen a lot of these, um, you know, games as service, these long-running franchises. You know, Destiny, of course, is the poster child for this, where Destiny 2 came out and they're like, okay, we're on 2. 2 is the thing. Uh, and I think we've seen, you know, Overwatch is another example um, where they want to have the sequel come out they drop the first game, it's dead, move everybody over to the sequel. They're not doing that in this case. And I wonder if you think that is a smart decision or one that will they'll end up regretting or changing very quickly. I think it's a smart hedging. I think it, it kind of respects their players um, versus what we've seen from Overwatch, especially of they, mm-hmm. they keep they killed that first game and now they keep doing all these bizarre decisions to Overwatch too. So I think that's a I think that's a smart move. Um, I think it makes the players more genuinely curious to check out the sequel. And if the sequel is just bad or no one likes it, they think they can say like, yeah, we didn't mean it. We'll just go back to Smite one. Um, <laughs> so I, I kind of hope that it works out for them. Um, yeah. It's interesting yeah. to me because, because, you know, I, I don't know how much the sequel b- will bring in new players. It does feel like a lot of this is servicing an established community and you're sort of hoping this community comes and you know transfers over to the new game supports the new game gets excited about the new game gets reinvigorated but to continue to support the thing they already love i I agree with you that does feel very um it honors the players it honors that Mm. investment that they've put in i just don't know if the incentives there are there to even switch over to the new game like it's it's very curious to me this route I hope it also incentivizes them to make the new game more different and not be afraid of, you know, ruining the old game. Like it gives them more uh, like runway to be more experimental, hopefully. That's a great point. That's a great point. Yeah, you're right. Because they have the thing. We have the thing you love. All, it's still going. Let's play in this playground a little bit. Try a little uh, push the envelope a bit. I think that's a great. I hope you're right. I, I mean, I hope they actually do that. That's a really cool opportunity they are giving themselves. Christian, what do you think? Smite 2 running in parallel with Smite 1. And and that as sort of a a template for the way these games can get sequels. These types of games, I, I should say. I think Jordan makes a lot of great points. I, I also wonder what their costs are. I feel like that comes into the equation of what's the overhead to keep Smite 1 running. And when you have times where studios shut a game down, do they just not have the developer resources to maintain it at a level that would be suitable for that player base? Or do they see the pot of gold, (laughs) you know, on the other end of getting the sequel up and running as a really big incentive to move folks over? And I I haven't played Smite. I'm aware of it. I've seen it. I have friends that went hard into it for a long time. I'm curious how much, you know, keeping that first game going can really work as that transition point to the sequel. If there are gentle, I'm going to use the word pop-ups, but something in-game that kind of leads folks there, you know, really highlights the, the new game, 
encourages folks to check it out. If it's within a launcher that's able to move you over, kind of do these things that makes people curious about it, as Jordan said, about this sequel and gives them a reason to check it out. And, I, you know, it it is a free game. So I think that barrier to entry is much lower than what we've seen with Overwatch going from a paid to it. It was a fundamental change in what Overwatch right. is and was and how folks a- approached it. And I think the biggest takeaway for me that I'm always fascinated about with these live service or games as service games or these long running games is when they choose to update the engine and how they go about doing it. I mean, on one hand, you have World of Warcraft, who has just somehow managed to get prettier on the same bones. I mean, it is an old, yeah. it, it will never win best graphics, but like it, it, it's gotten prettier oh, over yeah. the years and Definitely. it's lost a few old operating systems that it no longer runs on, but it's, they haven't done a big graphical update of it. And then on the other hand, you have something like Smite 2 where, yeah, they're building a this sequel on the latest and greatest you know, graphical technology and how are you going to move people over and what are the advantages of that? And then in the middle, you have Epic who found a way to update their engine in the middle of their live service game. <laughs> and they're like, we make the engine, this new game's on our engine. You know, we're the wizards behind the curtain and we did it. But it's fascinating. And I have to imagine it's an interesting question when assessing tech debt and what it takes to move folks over and what that monetization can and should be. But I'm rooting for them because I, I love seeing games get prettier and I love seeing games take risks and go for those big sequel swings. I think there's a reason why there hasn't been a World of Warcraft 2 and why a lot of people are very happy with World of Warcraft. I'm a little bummed wondering what it could have been. You know, what what could that game have been? So I hope Smite 2 is successful and we see more folks do that and, and really take those swings. I think bringing up the fact that it's free to play is a, is a really important point because, because it's free to play. That means the way they've monetized is selling people bits and bobs and doodads and, you know, in the course of investing in that first game. And I think it is about respecting the player's investment, monetary and time uh, to that, to that platform really. And to say, oh, we're replacing all this. Forget about everything that you invested. Here's the new one. Uh, I, I think that would that would not that would be a tough pill to swallow. And so perhaps it is a more gentle <clears throat> nudging of like, hey, you're, you're you're we're still here. All the stuff that you bought still there. We're still you're still doing it. So maybe it, it does feel a little bit um, necessary in order to uh, ease that transition and, and give a little uh, Venn diagram overlap of uh, the time that you can (laughs) exist in both of these worlds. I'm just rooting for them because Smite is the one MOBA that I don't hate. Oh, really? I hate MOBAs otherwise. Why do you not hate this one? Because the whole different perspective of it, I find, is is a lot more easy to get into versus the other one just feeling like playing an RTS with one unit. Right. (laughs) It feels like what it is. It's like a bootleg hack. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, um, I love them, but... I, I, I oh, feel you, you and the rest of the world. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like they've gone out of vogue, you know, very quickly, but, uh, you know, I also guess they had, they had those, uh, they had those avatar last airbender skins. I was already into that. Too. Oh yeah. Hey, there you go. I love that. I do you know who know about that. doesn't think mobiles have gone out of vogue is riot. Who is still cashing all of their checks. Like it's, I guess true. I guess that's true. MOBAs are still doing traditional mobiles are still doing a okay. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Fair point. Fair point. 
All right. Well, uh, this is story of the week. Let's talk about the games that we have been playing in a segment we call the playlist. Jordan, what has been on your playlist lately? Uh, so I just published our review of Prince of Persia, The Lost Crown, which I think comes out next week. Yes. Um, but review embargo's up. Uh, this game is fantastic. I was very surprised by how much I ended up liking this game. Um, they announced it last year. It's a return to sort of the 2D style of Prince of Persia. Uh, you know, the very original Prince of Persia was a 2D game, famously yeah. like a rotoscoped uh, kind of cinematic platformer. Um, but then, you know, Ubisoft bought it and then they had the Sands of Time, which is a, you know, a fantastic game, uh, cool time manipulation powers. Um, but then that game sort of those that franchise sort of fell off because Assassin's Creed sort of took over as Ubisoft's kind of vaguely historical, really parkour heavy sort of action game. Um, and those are, are still going strong. But I've always thought that was a mistake. I always thought Prince of Persia had its own cool thing. And so they brought it back as this 2D Metroidvania uh, from the people who made those like kind of recent 2D Rayman games. Um, and it's just incredible across the board. The platforming, the combat, the puzzle solving. It's just a it's just a incredible game. I'm so I'm excited. So it's happy to good. hear that. Yeah. <laughs> I know that there's a demo out that I could have been playing this week, but I've been holding off because I kind of want to just jump into the full game when it when it comes out. But um how did you feel about the uh the sort of the the length and depth and and the journey through the entire uh game i mean is it is there enough new stuff introduced are you constantly being you know um asked to do new kinds of things or is it is it what's your experience overall yeah so i'd be maybe like 15 hours and that was probably going quickly to review it um i think it could very easily be like twice that if you're trying to get everything um but yeah like, like you're saying like the the speed in which they are introducing new things to you um is definitely very impressive because I just feel like all the different aspects of it are all like executed at like top level. So like the map is huge and has really interesting layouts for how you know in Metroidvanias you 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 want to have the things kind of loop around on themselves, so you kind of unlock shortcuts that way and kind of feel like you could be lost, but you're not so lost that it's just like not fun. Um, and you know you have different kind of ways of remembering like landmarks and stuff like that. So just yeah, there's this this much ballyhooed uh, feature where you can like take a screenshot, right? Yeah, and put that on your map if you want. Yeah, Yeah, that's cool. I like that's a clever solution to that you know very frequent Metroidvania problem. Yeah, so I think so. The map itself, I think, is is well designed. Like just the movement, it feels incredible. The the different you're you're you feel like almost like a like a like a Smash Brothers character. Like your mobility options and like how fluid everything feels. Uh, I think the combat has the depth of like a beat em up where you're thinking about like how like combos and I saw somebody do this crazy thing. They, they, look, they look like something out of a fighting game, the way they were labbing out how like, oh, if you can hit the guy in the air and then you have like your like your bow and arrow to kind of keep him in the air and then thinking about how to they would be knocked back down at this angle. You know, like this, like you don't, you don't need to go that hard in the game, but the, <laughs> the fact that there's a depth of that is really incredible. And then uh, the powers that they give you and they do a good job of giving you the most interesting powers really quickly. Cause you know, in most Metrovania is like, Oh, I'll probably get like a double jump or I'll get like a grappling hook or something. And mm-hmm. you do get that kind of later on, but initially they're giving you this power. Like they give you a power where you can like 
freeze of duplicate of yourself at a certain fixed point and then recall yourself back to that duplicate um, at any point in what you're doing. So say like you jump up and then you leave like your duplicate in midair and then you elsewhere activate the platform that kind of raises beneath that duplicate and then you recall yourself back to that point and you get mm. on it. Um, oh, that sounds awesome. It's like Braid or like Portal yeah. or like a Zelda dungeon sometimes, some of that stuff. Like there are stretches where you're not doing any fighting at all and it's still really uh, engaging. There's a interview in, I, I get print media. Um, so I don't know if it's the newest digital, but the latest print issue of Game Informer where they interviewed some of the devs of Lost Crown. And they talked about your comment about it being like a fighting game. And that was something that the team looked at is how do you make 2D fighting engaging because so many folks now just see 3d fighting and, and what that looks like but they talk about how the 2d fighters fighting games are visually interesting and have really compelling animations and also can feel really cool to do like hands-on you know on the stick or on the controller so that's cool to hear that they kind of pulled that off and are able to create something that is dynamic and fun and and more than just like sword 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 because it's just technically one button right like a to swing a sword but then layered with i guess other mobility movements yeah you have a sword you have like a like your bone arrow you have a parry too which is a, you know a big thing um but yeah it's not you know there's yeah there's not a ton of buttons that you're pressing but different kind of um you know ways you can finesse it makes it a lot just the, the feel of it is really great do you I'm excited did it's you get a sense that it was um uh difficult game or accessible i mean the the rayman games uh you know have a lot of those things but are kind of more accessible on the accessible side i would say uh so they do a great job of giving you a lot of accessibility options so you could you know make it as hard or or as easy as you want you can make the parry timing window really Mm. generous you can adjust how much damage you take from enemies so they let you you know you can even kind of like some of the some of the platforming gets to like kind of meat boy level of like you have to be really precise and on all your wall jumping and stuff, but also wow. they give you like options to skip, to skip that stuff too, if you want. So they, they give you the whole, whole gamut, man. Christian, this sounds like your catnip. I think it, I already have the first game that's going to be added to my Christian tracks, his potential game of the years. Um, here we are, <laughs> you know, January 14th, 15th. Uh, yeah. I, I think this game looked awesome when it was announced. I love seeing the reviews. I also love that they did a demo, I think that's really smart. It shows a lot of confidence in it. And I love re-examining what a franchise is or can be again. Mm-hmm. I think they did that once already yeah. with Prince of Persia and brought it into 3D. And I love those games, Sands of Time and, yeah. and that whole trilogy. And then they tried to do it again in 2008. I think is one it was, the one you really liked, Jeff, just like kind of the it. platforming yeah, game. The and for whatever reason, that didn't subtitle hit. Subtitle free one. Yeah. Yeah. And and now going back to these kind of 2D roots and what better team than the team that has, you know, some of that Rayman um, legacy. Those games are so good and they're still beautiful today. You can go get any of those old Rayman. I mean, not the the old, old, old ones are still beautiful too. But when I mean old, I mean like, what was it? Like Xbox 360 generation, I think. Those those Rayman yeah. games are Origins stunning still. Legends, yeah. yeah. So much fun those games. I also heard that that it runs really well. That it, it, it uh, even at launch, it's running at a super high frame rate, even on Switch. And yeah, I, uh, I played it on Switch. Yeah, and it's it's sixty and ten eighty p. It runs great. That's awesome. So that's Prince of Persia: The Lost Crown, which will be uh, coming out uh, very close to the time you are hearing this. I'm sure. 
uh, one I'm sure Christian and I will be talking about next week as we get our uh, grubby little hands on it as well. But speaking of grubby little hands, Christian Spicer, you got to play uh, another very highly anticipated 2024 release that is on the horizon. It, I am allowed to talk about it because they tweeted we could talk about it. A really sidebar. I'm talking about Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League. And so I, I was in the closed alpha. I think a lot of folks were able to get in that closed alpha. And then recently they did press, actual like official press, hands-on previews. And those started coming out. And they weren't glowing uh, some were okay, but a lot of them weren't glowing. I think IGN's, I think they've changed it, but originally the subtitle, I think, on their hands-on preview was, we finally played Suicide Squad and we did not like it. And, and that's a that's a bold, I mean, previews are usually like, I, you can still read it. It's on my blog, christianspicer.com. You can read my hands-on preview of Redfall. And I say some pretty nice things about Redfall because that hands-on preview was pretty fun. And they tell you, this stuff's going to happen between now and launch. And you're like, oh, I could see all this coming together and this could be great. And then it came out and we talked about it on this show and it did not come together and be great. So to see these kind of hands-on previews of Suicide Squad come out and people be kind of mixed on it or, or negative was interesting. And then I think because of that, they thought that maybe some of the folks that played the closed alpha could speak to their experience with it and maybe that would change the tide of the conversation of this game so to play the closed alpha we all signed an nda we could not talk about it and i mean again i used to be an attorney forever ago this is why it fascinates me and i apologize to your listener why i'm why why i'm spending so much time on this nice that nda was released via tweet they just (laughs) tweeted Hey, people have asked us, and sure, you can talk about your experience with it, which is just the weirdest legal stuff. I don't know. Games, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm hung up on it, but it's just like, what if you didn't see that? I love tweet? that. I, I love know. that. My my wife's a lawyer. Like half the people in my family are lawyers. So the crossover of lawyers looking at baby game stuff is like <laughs> right in my wheelhouse. So that's, I love that. I love that for us. Yeah, it, it's, it was bizarre. I was like, that can't be true. Uh, and someone's like, yeah, yeah, no, here, we can talk about it. And I was like, I click on, you know, sure enough, see the see the tweet, and it's just an image. You can go ahead, dear person. Anyway, all that out of the way. Um, They're not going to email I, you in- individually. I mean, come on. They, they got social media right there. You can just tweet it out. It's easy peasy, done and done. Right. Heaven and forbid we uh, have lunch. <laughs> heaven forbid we did a docu-sign you know, like a verified identity to whatever play this thing. And they're just like, now talk about it. <laughs> they heard us. They heard us. Um, <laughs> the first time bizarre. around, they're like, man, did you have to read all those signs we got? Yeah, that was <laughs> super annoying. You know what we could do? <laughs> tweet it. Send a tweet. Just um, hand wave so, it, baby. Uh, dear listener, I'm, I'm done talking about the tweet. I'll talk about the game. I... Did not like it. And it, it bums me out to say that. I love Rocksteady. Yeah. Oh, this is like one of your most anticipated games of the last five years. It it, it was. It, it yeah. definitely was. I love Rocksteady. I like Suicide Squad. I think I talked about it on this show when they first unveiled it. I like OG Suicide Squad. I've, I've liked several iterations of Suicide Squad. I like uh, Guns, Suicide Squad movie. I thought was really well done. I like second these one. characters. The second movie. 
James Gunn's one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Not David Ayers. Right. Yeah. Um, I like Harley Quinn. I, I like Batman the Animated Series. I, I like all of this stuff. I like this stuff. And I was hopeful and optimistic for Suicide Squad. You know, it got uh, – didn't showcase great during a, a, a Sony presentation. People were concerned about its games of service or kind of that live service gotcha grind loot approach and then they delayed it and then it came out and so suicide squad killed the justice league in my closed alpha it is very much a co-op looter shooter with the trappings of a what you would shorthand call a games as service game it has all of those things of you know Get this bullet that has freeze effect that counters this thing that gives you a 10% chance for this that you, you can see, you know, you got the shiny gun and now the shiny gun is useful against these shiny characters and you're going to roll and do that and you're going to go and do this stuff. And, and a lot of it is presented in this open world metropolis that is – it's been taken over by Brainiac – and it's barren of citizens or anything. And in the alpha, the hours I spent with the alpha, you were doing tried and true, I think, old and outdated missions of go to point X and kill 20 aliens. And uh oh, here comes a big alien and it's got a blue purple orb on it shoot the purple ord to kill the thing. Oh, these guys have shields, take down the shields to then take down the alien. And then you take down your 20 aliens and you get some trinket or something and then it's like, "Uh-oh. Hostages are being taken at this location. Get over there and hold the point for 30 seconds so the hostages can be freed." Then you have to cross the map to go to this other place where you do the thing and you shoot the purple things to get the thing to do the thing and it just felt wrote i think at this point and i think a big part of it is as someone who's loved destiny for years is that i didn't love the core gameplay shooting loop which i think and these are just my experiences i think some folks are gonna love this game i think our good friend anthony taramina might love it because numbers are going up all over the place anthony loves numbers going up i think there's a good chance he could really like this game he loves looter shooters yeah he loves looter shooters and so i think there is going to be some folks who love it but i found the shooting to be not super fun and not super engaging it didn't feel good on the sticks and it's interesting all four characters have to be able to do everything the way the game is set up. So they every character has to be able to get, you know, Jordan was talking about Prince of Persia, how you're doing this awesome platforming to get these places and do this stuff. Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League is a lot of traversal in this open world. And so every character has to be able to get from point A to point B over a large chasm, you know, doing some form of traversal, but they all do it differently. And they all do it differently via controls, which part of me is like good for them for taking that risk but i think then playing there was this moment of not wanting to switch characters because there's this muscle memory reset for I example think that's, in, that's the coolest thing i've heard about this game so far yeah. i think that's awesome like you specialize in your character and if you really want to get good you you know it's 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 but you're doing Guile the same thing playing 
Ken or you. you I, know? See, I, maybe, and maybe people will feel that way. I disagree because I think it's now you're playing as a hunter in Destiny, and to do your special, you have to push a different button. You're still doing your special. It's just now triangle. So it's just so superficial still, and annoying. You're still double jumping, but now instead of double hitting XX, you have to hit X right trigger. And and like they move slightly differently through the space, but it's the it's the same thing. You're mm-hmm. double jumping, you're ground pounding, you're doing something, but to use the jetpack is slightly different than Harley's grapple hook is slightly different than boomerangs, but it's all the same thing. So I don't think you're necessarily becoming competitive as a player. You might have one you like more than the other, but I found it to be an added layer of complication that didn't necessarily pay off um, for my for my play style. Um, what I did like is clearly a lot of time and money was put into this game. It looks beautiful. The cutscenes, the character animations, the facial work, the voice acting seemed top notch. Like that stuff, it like feels like a big, big game. Um, and from what I spoke, from what I saw of the story, I, I didn't love that. Like this is a continuation of the Arkham games. And I, I, I won't spoil it, but in the closed alpha, assuming they don't pull the rug out and say, just kidding, that's not what happened. They explain how Batman is in this game. In Arkham Knight, Batman is done. Batman says, bye-bye. I'll spoil that game. It's very old. He fakes his own death and disapp- disappears into the sunset. Batman is in this game. And in the time I spent in the closed alpha, they explain how that happened. And I didn't, I didn't love it. I, I didn't love, you know, how these characters get their traversal abilities. Like Amanda Waller sets them out on this mission with no things, but then they find things that they're like, we can use these things now. Anyway, I feel like I'm now kind of nitpicking, but um, I have not gone from like so hype to I don't think I'm going to play it at all. Um. The, the the thing that's most surprising to me is the mechanical stuff. Like I get maybe the structure of the game, like what they're going for, the looter shooterness might be a turnoff. The the quests themselves might be a little flat and hollow, maybe a little underwhelming. I can understand all those criticisms that the the sort of underpinnings of the you know the the gameplay loops are unsatisfying. But what's shocking to me as a rock steady game is you saying that mechanically it's just not fun because I feel like throw me into any given Batman Arkham fight and I'm having fun regardless of the setting, regardless of, you know, what I've done, the story, anything. It's just mechanically very satisfying and fun. I feel like they know how to do that. I I think they, they did with third person brawling and this is shooting, it, and it, yeah. it doesn't feel like and it's Destiny, always shooting, is, regardless of who you play. It, for all intents and purposes, yes. Will Harley take out her bat from time to time? Sure. Will King Shark pound the ground from time to time? Yes. But no, you are you are always shooting. Shooting is is how you interact with this world. Um, and, and it just yeah, it doesn't feel great or inventive or bringing something new to the table in a way that is satisfying. And again, 
I, I do think some people will latch onto this game and I'm sure there'll be some incredible TikTok videos of people doing the most amazing combat encounters. But for me and kind of what that, what I would consider average gameplay run and gun style approach, it just felt um, outdated then with the trappings of upgrade the thing to get the thing to do the next thing to get the thing to go to the next place i would love to be wrong and again this is based off a closed alpha that i played a month ago or whenever it was so i'd love to be wrong but it's kind of like where there's smoke there's fire is is kind of my like that first sony showcase people weren't enthused by i didn't love the closed alpha then they send the press hands-on and they come away mixed I think um, I think this game has an uphill climb. It's, and I hate to comp- – I, I purposely didn't use this, and we can move on unless Jordan, you, or Jeff have other questions. But I purposely didn't use this comparison earlier, but I'll use it now. Um, sort of the way Marvel's Avengers fell flat in terms of enemy variety and mission variety and kind of doing those same things. How many of these – what were they? AIM, robots, <clears throat> or whatever you were doing. I think Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League suffers from that problem, again, as based on the closed alpha, from the non-main story missions where it's just these brainiac aliens that you're kind of doing over and over and over again as kind of the, the, the main grind. But then it doesn't have the part I liked about Avengers was each character playing differently in a meaningful way where cap was different than black Panther was different than iron man. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And even in that game where they had those in Marvel's Avengers, where they had these characters do different things, I still knew how to jump, (laughs) Right. (laughs) You, you know? And I feel like in suicide squad killed the justice league. And perhaps this is me recency bias, but, Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2 have already done such a great job of showing how you can move through a level and traverse and have it be fun and have it be simple if you want, but more complex if you want. And what they're trying to do in in Suicide Squad feels kind of like the antithesis to that Mm -hmm. for me. And so I feel like it has two bad parts that just don't quite work out. I understand on the whiteboard you know how they kind of get there. But I think in practice for me, when I was playing it, they just didn't gel. Um, yeah. Hmm. Any questions? <laughs> I'm no. just so bummed out. You know, I was recently replaying the Batman games and they're, they're great. And they were so, they were doing, they were innovating so much in their combat and kind of like gamifying superhero. You know, you talk about Spider-Man, like those games are indebted, I think to those Batman games. Yes. How to gamify sure. superhero stuff. So I just feel like the arc of Rocksteady from, those games, even from but especially from that first game to this sort of desperate trend chasing, is like the arc of all Western game development <laughs> for the past like ten years, and how just yeah. AAA bloat is a plague that is unsustainable. But it's it's, a, again, it's a bleak observation, but not untrue. Um, I hope I I'm wrong. One, I I would love to eat crow. Sorry. Well, I I do have one other question, and that is I, I kept thinking that the one thing they weren't showing that could be the real saving grace of this game is what they insinuate in the title, which is I'm going to be fighting the justice league. And each of those fights could be super cool and so different and so unique and so wild. I don't know. 
how what you played in the alpha, but it, at any point, are you taking down a Wonder Woman, a Green Lantern, a Superman? Is is are those what I would think of as sort of marquee boss fight moments? Are those cool? They might be. I I would point listeners to look up, and I think that actually it's WB provided capture of the flash fight, a flash fight from the recent press hands on. And you are a third person perspective character shooting the flash who's running around all over the place. And then there's, you know, mob filler enemies coming in. No real HUD notification for where the flash is. The game's HUD is its own uh, story. It's very messy HUD. Um, but no real great location for where the flash is. So I kind of disoriented trying to locate this boss. And then when you find them, you just shoot him a little bit Mm. and then he runs somewhere else and you shoot him a little bit. Like it didn't have those moments of, um, trying to think of like awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, you know, that's a stage and then like dead shot hits him in the calf. So he goes down because it's dead shot and, the flash and then something interesting happens it really just felt i encourage folks to watch it i think it comes across flat and i think that's accurate <laughs> okay unfortunately well that's suicide suicide squad killed the justice league in the alpha form so uh who knows but they should just make a new injustice just do that those games were great <laughs> yeah. those games were great yeah christian what else is on your playlist um, people watching the video can see it over my shoulder. There it is. Uh, I, I talked about last week going in retro stuff on my analog pocket. I've talked about before how much I love my analog products. I have the mega SG and the super NT, which is their Genesis and their super Nintendo. I have been very passively looking for a CRT, a small CRT TV for, I don't know, maybe a year now. And when I say passively, I mean like looking on next door, going by local, excuse me, garage sales and being like, Ooh, do they have (laughs) little CRTs or like asking friends that are on Facebook marketplace to see if anybody are, are selling any or something like that. Um, mostly because my nephew got one, his room is incredible. It's like what my dream room was when I was a kid, but he has it now with like retro systems and a CRT. So I've been passively looking and then my friends, I'm walking around my neighborhood was it two nights ago two days ago and there is spoiler you can already see what happened because over my shoulder there is a beautiful 13 inch just <clears throat> dinky run-of-the-mill crt tv not like a trinitron not a reference monitor like the kind i had as a kid you know like the kid bedroom part of the screen's probably cut off wrong no one calibrated colors back then because it was a crt little dinky and it's sitting there and it's on the curb and i'm like yeah that's there's no way that's good you know the universal you you don't want it you put it on the curb kind of thing like oh getting rid of this mattress properly is hard yeah yeah Yeah. recycling electronics the right way is hard you put it on the curb and you hope the curb fairy comes and takes (laughs) it away so i i walk by i'm like yeah there's no way then i drive by at night I have my car. It's like only a block away from where I live. It's still there. And it's been like four hours. Now I'm in a car, so I'm not walking. It's only 13 inches, but I I still think it weighs 800 pounds because, again, it's a CRT TV. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to pull it around and take this thing. So I take it, bring it home, hook it up. 
It's flawless, guys. It's <laughs> incredible. It is exactly that thing. Let me see. It's an Apex, Apex brand CRT Did you get a year TV. of manufacturer anywhere on it? 2003. So oh, it is a 21-year-old. It's an, it, yeah, it was probably its last, you know, off the mill. But uh, so now I, I had my basically Christmas morning where I got to set up my analog systems to it. I'm running it through the analog DAC, which takes the digital out and makes it analog and plugs into the back. And there's nothing like playing old games on an actual CRT again. They're beautiful. And I became so nostalgic for just like that idea of what games looked like, you know, before I knew what frame rate was (laughs) or, or if I knew what HDR was or if I knew that something was, you know, running properly and it's just is what it is. So I've been playing a whole bunch of games, but I just wanted to tell my story of uh, I, I was the curb fairy. I've never been the curb <laughs> fairy before. You did it. You took, you, you helped that person out. Now, does it have, does analog have like composite out? So or? analog, analog, the, the traditional console is an HDMI out and they look great on modern displays, I should say. Right. As but well. that TV doesn't have HDMI in, I would guess. No, so that's why I have Analog's DAC, Digital Analog Converter. It's a little uh, box that I plug the HDMI into, and then I take the um, RCA out of. And this little this little CRT, I mean, it is exactly how I played games in my bedroom when I was a little guy. It's also only mono. So it's like, <laughs> is it properly processing the mono sound? I don't know. You know, who, who can tell? But it's like all the trappings of just being a you're happy to be playing it experience. But for those yeah. types of games, it's how I remember them. And I think they, they hold up really well. So I played a lot of super Mario world um, off my, on my super NT and you can't see it right now because of the lighting, but I'm running um, Sonic two, just the attract mode behind me. I came home, I plugged it in. The first thing I had that I could get set up with it was my old N64 with Ocarina of time. And I just put it in, turn it on. And my kids were just blown away. They were like, <gasps> Whoa! And then my oldest daughter picked up the controller and was like, "What is this?" It was great. It was great. It made so, it made my weekend. That entire monologue you had last week about the overlays to get the CRT look—you're like, I don't need those anymore. All that time I spent getting the perfect overlay. Yeah, well, those all... are for my pocket. Those are for my oh, pocket see, still. When I'm playing GBA games, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. So Christian has been playing um, somebody else's garbage. Is the uh... <laughs> no, 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 not Suicide Squad. I'm talking about a CRT TV. Jeez, I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. Well, um, <laughs> on my playlist this week is a um, a a mod, a fan made mod. But one I can wholeheartedly recommend, ladies and gentlemen. It's called Portal Revolution, and it's more Portal. It's new Portal. They made more Portal. And by they, I mean people who wanted it enough to make Valve let them do it. (laughs) It's pretty great. Uh, It's about a seven-hour campaign. Takes place between Portal 1 and Portal 2. And uh, it's more portal levels, and they're really well done. Really well done. Uh, you, ha- you know, if you own Portal 2, as I do on Steam, uh, it is completely free. Portal, I believe Portal 2 was on sale for 99 cents, maybe still, but recently. So it's not like that game is going to cost you a lot of money on Steam anyway, even if you don't already own it. I happen to have owned it on Steam forever. 
Um, so I downloaded this completely free. Uh, and it's really good. It's really good. Uh, you know, I can only imagine. I I don't know how much somebody designs a portal level. It just feels like, you know, solving a portal level boggles my brain. Designing one is just a whole other <laughs> off the charts kind of notion that I can't even wrap my head around. But um, these are very, very good levels. And the coolest thing about it is that it plays like a new edition of Portal in that it doesn't assume you just got done playing Portal 2. You know, it doesn't assume, it doesn't throw you into the deep end. It starts the way a professionally designed game would in that it, the initial levels teach you how to do it and are very simple and are very straightforward. And it kind of like steps you through like, Hey, remember what thinking with portals was all about? Remember, remember how you put the cube on the thing and you, and, and it like doesn't give you the orange and blue right away. The orange is stationary and you're forced to only figure out your entrance point, but the, but they're super clever levels. The puzzles are great. The graphics are, I think improved uh, from the, I, evidently I did some reading about this and evidently they used like a, an offshoot of the source engine. That's kind of this fan modified offshoot of the source engine. So th- this isn't art, the RTX version. Yeah. No, 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 okay. no, no, it doesn't, it doesn't have any ray tracing or anything. So it's not as beautiful as, as that we talked about the RTX version of portal two, but, um, but it, but it's really lovely and they do some really cool things like you go outdoors which is like, that's a new thing in Portal, like that open blue sky above you, kind of neat. Um, and, you know, the, it, it takes you to, to some cool places that you haven't really ever seen in Aperture. So, like, they're they're taking big swings, these fans. You know, they're taking, they're they're pushing the, uh, the lore into places that maybe they want to see, uh, which I really appreciate. Now, here's the downside, and I don't want to, I feel bad criticizing this because... Clearly, this is fan-made. People aren't making money uh, from this. I think they have ambitions of getting into game design and seem to be um, very capable and worthy of that uh, dream. But I will say they attempt to do the Portal-esque running dialogue guy, you know, the, the, Mm -hmm. the, 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 the robot voice that's making jokes and guiding you through. And it's not professional level in my opinion and i i hate to disparage that because this is clearly a labor of love and uh i have no idea who did the voiceover but it's not great in my opinion um and i like i said i i feel even bad criticizing that because you know you, it's hard to compare that to uh, who was it that did the portal Two, like the famous british actor oh um, was it steven merchant steven merchant right yeah. it's like no one is steven merchant like nobody yeah. off the street yeah is Steven Merchant. No one has Val's resources and Exactly. Money. Yeah. And the writing, you know, is serviceable here. The jokes are a little flat. It's not, it doesn't sing like a portal game, you know, a Valve portal game does. Like the best of all time. The literal still exactly. gold exactly. standard. Game of the year, for... some might call it. Exactly. That's why, you <laughs> Some know, might call it in a book, Some, some might write a whole book where it, it, it has a, <laughs> yeah. Um, that's why I have such a hard time even bringing up that negative, but it is in my opinion where it falls flat because at every other area, I feel like it stands shoulder to shoulder with the actual portal games. And that's 
a huge accomplishment. Like it feels just as fun, just as, you know, you have all those moments of, oh my God, I'm a genius, you know, for figuring it out. Oh my God, I broke the game. I feel, you know, the, all of the stuff you want out of a portal experience, it delivers, the levels are cool and clever. And I think it even has a few, it's been a long time since I played the portal games all the way through. So don't quote me on this, but I think they even sort of innovate a few uh, mechanical, you know, uh, gameplay notions that never really were done in the uh, original games. So I think there's actually some kind of, you know, actual innovation there, which is neat. Easy to recommend Portal Revolution. It's on Steam. If you own Portal 2, it's free. It's great. Portal's great. Playing new Portal levels is great. Like, it's just all positive. And I, I hate to have had that little negative bit, but I just felt like the, the you know, the dialogue, the jokes, the delivery, all of it was a little bit of a, you know, it, it showed its, um, you know, its uh, grassroots nature in that regard. But uh, uh, other than that, man, Portal Revolution, super cool that fans made it and that Valve gave it the thumbs up and like sanctioned it and said, go, go crazy with our IP, like do it. Um, because uh, we wild. just saw this. Yeah, Portal 64 was just canceled yeah, or kind of shut, shut down, down by them. But evidently that was more with uh, Valve being nervous about them using Nintendo stuff. Oh, than interesting. Using any of their own stuff. Yeah. Cause I guess they use some like Nintendo, like runtime libraries or some kind of proprietary mm. Nintendo stuff. And Valve was like, ah, 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 don't associate us with that. <laughs> we don't want to get those Nintendo lawyers up in here. Right. You know? So uh, that's awesome. Yeah. My, my big question was going to be if they, if they do anything different and new kind of mechanically or is it just kind of the existing portal stuff but yeah it sounds like yeah they do some cool stuff with the like the goop you know the you get the, you put yeah. the like the painty goop stuff on uh and i i could totally be wrong that this was in portal 2 but when i did it in portal revolution i was like oh, I, th- I don't think i've ever done that before um so I think that they actually did some cool new stuff. I mean, even if they, they didn't, even if it's just their stuff is on the same level, that's already like a yeah. huge achievement. Well, and, so. and what they definitely did do that's new is like the setting, which is like going places and seeing visuals that you've never seen in Aperture Science. And, and I think that's pretty neat also. Um, and the game looks gorgeous. I really like it. It's really pretty. Um, so there you go. Portal Revolution, easy to recommend. Um, I also just really quickly want to, talk about something else uh in vr so here we go okay it's been a running theme since the holidays uh about how much vr i've been playing and i've been like literally that's been my main platform right now this is a great time to be an owner of a vr headset specifically the quest 3 uh, you know, you can have your hangups about Meta as a company. I totally understand that. I'm not here to argue one way or the other on on that front. I will just say as a piece of hardware, I am so blown away by the Quest 3 and what where VR is as a result of that hardware right now. And I just want to mention again, I know I've <laughs> said it the last few weeks, but I'm going to mention it again because the thing I've been playing the most this last week and the thing i the only thing i want to be playing i am trying to find minutes here and there to 
find more time to play is Asgard's Wrath 2. It is, I know I put it on my top five games of the year at the end of the year. I'm so glad I did because I was like, I haven't played enough of this to really know. It is a triumph. That game is a triumph. I'm telling you, this is the fulfillment of the promise of what, you know, I I love Lone Echo and Lone Echo 2. I still think those are special, special games. Uh, And in fact, I would put them above Asgard's Wrath 2 personally because you can't have that game not in VR. Like that's not, it's it's an it's an an, ex, an experience unique to VR, Lone Echo, in my opinion, and it may, and it proves what's so special about VR, in my opinion. But Asgard's Wrath Two is the other end of the spectrum. It's hey, these experiences that you've always wanted to be inside of that other video games give you, now you're inside of it. It is the experience that you know from video games. It's the quintessential video game experience. It's Ocarina of Time in VR. And it shows that you can do it. And not only can you do it, it can be extremely fun. I mean, this is, I know when the Wii came out and and Skyward Sword did some of this and Uh, Nintendo was experimenting with like, hey, waggle the thing and you'll swing the sword and hold the shield like Link and all that stuff. This is that dream made manifest, done right. I absolutely love the combat in Asgard's Wrath 2. I talked about it in the last few weeks, but as you keep getting new skills and your weapons, let's say, change, it's so awesome the variety of things and the go-to thing with video games is like give them a bow and arrow i mean not video games vr games is give them a bow and arrow because doing a bow and arrow in vr is just cool it's just fun like the the movement of doing a bow and arrow in vr is neat but asgard's rest says ah, ah, ah we can come up with different ways to be neat and it's so thrilling the the combat scenarios I've gotten into. I, I, I'm fending off multiple enemies. I'm improvising. I'm doing it all physically. I'm having so much fun. I feel like overwhelming odds that I'm beating back against, and sometimes I fall short. And I really want to do it again. It it is the combat is is, is awesome. And some of the things that you get as you, you know, invest in your skill points and skill trees and unlock these new abilities, make the combat so dynamic and so cool. And you have all these ways to take on really big bad guys. Like I've stumbled into areas in the open world in this game where uh, bad guys walk out that are like five, 10, 20 levels higher than I am. And I'm like, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. And a couple of times I even win because I'm physically doing it. I'm doing it. 
And I know that I'm doing it when I press buttons and you, people are going to be like, that's Dark Souls and that's this game and that's that game. And you can, you know, you, you can have a naked character and they can do the combat. Yes. Yeah, but does Not doing just- push-ups in real life get you better at Dark Souls? Because <laughs> right. in between reps like, and Asgard, just doing reps gets you Dude, I am be a naked character in real life, too. <laughs> <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my wife has walked in on some very strange scenes of me in, in VR. Um, but no, the uh, it's just so thrilling to be like, no, I ducked. I ducked. I swung. I tossed that. I grabbed that. I, it's... I, I find it thrilling. So the combat is awesome, but that's not even the biggest revelation because this last week I played a sequence in Asgard's Wrath 2. Christian Spicer, I'm going to tell you right now, I know I'm given to hyperbole, but believe me when I say this sequence, which takes place on a bridge, is up there with any kind of chase sequence from an Uncharted game is in how much fun it was, how thrilling, how like edge of the seat pulse pounding and I'm doing it, dude. I'm doing it. It 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 gave me that Indiana Jones uncharted running through a a, a temple but also sort of mixed with God of War in that there's a scale to what's attacking me that is incredible and I'm, I mean, I don't want to spoil anything, but like the traversal mechanics that it unveils as you move through this game. And again, zero nausea at this point, zero. And I'm doing these dynamic, interesting, flinging myself around, sliding under things. Like it's so, so awesome. So probably not the last time I'll talk about it. And I know I've talked about it before. But all I want to do is play Asgard's Wrath 2. And there's like a – there's a rift mode where you can go and just – it's, you know, it's a roguelite style like – or not even roguelite. It's like rogue. It's how far can you get until you die. Uh, and so there's like an, an infinite gameplay loop aside from this massive 60-hour campaign that's in the game. I want to do everything. I want to find every little nook and cranny. You know, the open world is huge and there's kind of cool stuff waiting for you, hidden things around every corner. There's awesome puzzles, physical puzzles that you're doing. Uh, It's, 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 I think it's like, it really is Ocarina of Time in VR. It's, it's that much of a triumph in my opinion. Does it stop? being a pack-in at some point is it like a limited or is it still a pack-in or was that like a i, bo- do I don't now? know if it's it, it's still but my understanding is it was a limited time pack-in it was not it was you get it as a you know you get it as a bonus purchase mm. with the purchase of a oculus 3 or a quest 3 um but i don't know when that time period ends yeah or if it has already uh, uh one question for you before we move on Pick one. I'm gonna I'm gonna pancake or waffle you. Half Life yeah. Alex or Asgard's Wrath Two. Man, first child, second Here's, child. What do you? <laughs> honestly, I will say Half Life Alex. One because the visual fidelity is so much more impressive than Half Life Alex. I mean, Asgard's Wrath Two is made to be a standalone 
headset game. It's not, you're not using the power of a actual PC to run it. And that in itself is pretty cool because you can play it anywhere. You can throw it in your backpack and go anywhere and play it. You don't have to stream it on anything, whatever. Um, so, but the visual fidelity of, of Half-Life Alex is truly impressive. And I do think that it's a more focused, uh, crafted moment to moment experience that is really impressive. And there's, a, you know, there is a level in it that's called Jeff and I love it. And it's one of the greatest, <laughs> one of the greatest video game levels ever created is this level called Jeff in Half-Life Alex. But I don't say that to take anything away from Asgard's Wrath 2 because I do think it's in that. I think it's Half-Life Alex, Lone Echo, Asgard's Wrath. Like that's right now to me, that's the pantheon of sort of AAA like VR. I mean, there are other really, 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 really great VR games. You know, Moss, Red Matter, obviously stuff like beat saber and pistol whip but I, but i'm talking about like the, the kinds of games that can stand toe to toe and and shoulder to shoulder with the very best game of the year candidates on flat game you know the your mm-hmm. you know your zeldas your spider-mans you know that and and i don't think people put beat saber and and stuff like that in that category so but but i do think that vr is getting those games it's getting those they're fewer but they're they're there and i think we're you know right on the cusp of you know this kind of breakthrough i've just heard of so many people anecdotally that you know this holiday season they got a quest you know the the quest app was like the number one thing in the app store during the holidays like there's a lot of people jumping in and i think i'm really bullish on 2024 for for VR and uh, and it's just I think like it's going it's more impressive now than it has ever been. Yeah, I was going to mention. Yeah, I mean I've not used VR since probably before the pandemic. For being honest, but I'm a big motion control apologist, <laughs> and um, yeah, anecdotally, yeah, this holiday season, my little cousins were all using uh, Quest threes, and I was getting uh inquiry you know people asking me like if i were to get one which would this be the one to get and be like yeah this is probably the one to get um and just on on pc mag those those stories do really well traffic wise so yeah i'm hopeful i you know i feel like we went through a really dark period where people turned on the tech and just hated it and i can understand that to a certain extent uh i you know i always kept the faith that i'm a big believer but um i really think like this now and, and it's gonna be interesting to see what happens with um with the uh, Vision Pro, right? You know, it'll be interesting to see how that rollout happens. You know, it's right around the corner at this point. You know, the end of this week is pre-orders. So I don't know if that's going to make a big splash. I don't know if they're going to have enough of them to make a big splash. And they're certainly not positioning it as a gaming device per se. But I do think or it's going to... a mainstream gonna... priced device. Like I am... Correct. I very much want one. And I, I don't know. But like it is... I mean, it's, it's a... It's a it, not anymore post pandemic, but it's like the price of what used to be a used civic, you know, like you get a good, a good right. daily driver for the, yeah. <laughs> for that price. And pe- people yeah. don't have any issue with the PSVR two hardware wise. It's just, there's what, what is Sony putting out for that thing? Like right. not even like a year later, but yeah. hardware wise, I thought, I thought that was on point. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I like, I like PSVR two. Um, I find it, you know, comfort wise, not as appealing as, as quest three at this point. And yeah, you know, I, I, it's so 
awesome to be able to have the whole Steam library of VR stuff available to me on Quest 3 at this point now streaming wirelessly. It's so it's hard for me to I I hope that Sony redoubles their you know support of of PSVR2 and and it doesn't wane as it seems to be. Um, and I, I would love to have more companies do what Capcom has done with the Resident Evil franchise, where it's like these games are playable both ways. Like we, we can do that. We can do that. Um, I just, you know, I, that seems like a really something that Sony should be pioneering is like, hey, here's a game that you can play 2D on PlayStation 5, but you can also play it in VR on PSVR 2. That would be awesome. They could be doing that. We shall see. All right. That's my rant. <laughs> I just love Escrow's <laughs> Rats too so much. It's so good. It's so good. Um, let's uh, wrap it up now. We do have parting gifts coming up, so stick around for those. But Jordan Miner, thanks so much for being here, man. It's been awesome having you on the show. Yeah, it's great. It's been again. The book came out like half a year ago, and it's still great that people care to hear me talk about it. It's very encouraging. Well, yeah. I mean, it's such a cool, cool idea, and I think people are. Uh, keen to hear about it if they don't if they don't know about it already tell folks where they can find it and where they can keep up with you and the cool stuff you do online yeah so the book is video game of the year it is wherever books are sold so that's amazon that's barnes and noble that's bookshop.org i think is the kind of the cool more less corporate way of doing it um but like lots of independent bookshops i think are carrying it so it's 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 wherever wherever you want to get it um and then you can follow me at pcmag.com that's where my kind of everyday writing is um yeah, I'm on Twitter. I'm on X. I'm on Twitter. Same, it's Twitter. I'm on Instagram. <laughs> you know, I'm on, I'm on like all the platforms. Usually, as Jordan W. Minor is where you can find me. So. Very, very cool. Christian Spicer, what about you? What do you got going on this week? Well, I'm releasing a bunch of people from their NDAs. Um, you can find that over on Threads, which is where I'll be posting those. Um, I'll be releasing folks from there. I'll just post like you can talk about it. Hey, Brad, remember that stuff we got into in 2007? I said, don't talk about it. You can talk about it. I'm going to just post that on threads. Smart, um, smart. Yeah, just, you know, if people, Brittany, I'm sorry. I just post that on threads. That's where you just post those things now. I yeah, think, yeah. That's not an even NDA. It's just, I'm sorry. I'm so, Look, Brittany, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, I am on threads, Christian underscore Spicer there in Instagram. Uh, I have a newsletter. Let's chat games that is it moved off of Tiny Letter because Tiny Letter closed and now it's on Substack and Substack's problematic. <laughs> <laughs> I just moved it there. It's still there. It's on Substack. You can find it at christianspicer.substack.com. This last one is about uh, paying more to play a game early, which I've certainly done and I will probably do again. Um, but it's kind of examining and discussing that practice of buy the deluxe edition, uh, get uh, Starfield early, get Prince of Persia a few days early, that practice and how folks feel about it. It's very much a conversational style newsletter. People seem to dig it. So you can find that again at christianspicer.substack.com. And then this show is also on threads and Instagram as DLC Hype Train perhaps the last hype train in gaming now that E3 is gone. You know, it's just DLC hype train. And then we put up uh, video segments on YouTube and we are there at youtube.com or I guess at DLC pod is how you find us over on YouTube. Yes, indeed. And I hope you uh, check us out over there. It's kind of fun. And uh, tell your friends about the show. 
You can find me on socials at Jeff Canada, which is spelled with two N's and one T. Um, I also have other shows, including the film cast talking about uh, movies and TV shows. Jordan was a guest there as well. You can check that out. Um, we also do, uh, we have concerns, the, the uh, science comedy show where you can learn something and laugh along the way. And the fan controlled show, which is a show about sports. Uh, you can find that at fan controlled sports and entertainment. All right, let's wrap the show up now with our parting gifts. Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a parting gift. This is your parting gift. Jordan, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? Oh, I don't know if it'll do that, but uh, <laughs> I, I finished watching The Curse uh, on Showtime. Uh, I think Nathan Fielder is one of the greatest artists of our age, and he's Agreed. done it again. Uh, with the help of Benny Safdie, um, that sh- that show is out of control. And if if you like Dave for you and the rehearsal, and you wanted to get even more surreal, um, watch that. Probably not all at once. That's probably too much. But <laughs> and the ending is is indescribable. The things that happen, but it is uh, that show. Is- the the final episode of the curse is one of the wildest episodes of television I have ever seen. It's so good. It's bonkers bonkers and i loved it it is there's nothing like it nothing else like it uh yeah it was very funny when you were talking about how you don't have a uh, paramount plus subscription because i saw this as your parting gift and i was like but that's how i watch this show is on paramount plus yeah i was maybe just trying to be nice to halo i really like, oh that's a bit of an inconsistency so. <laughs> fair enough uh christian spicer what is your parting gift it's not a feel good but it's real good um, the movie Anatomy of a Fall. My wife and I watched that recently. We rented it at home. And I think one of the best performances by a child actor I've ever seen in my life. And by a dog. It, also, everybody. The performances <laughs> in that movie are on. Sandra Huller. She's amazing. If you, absolutely amazing. If if you like true crime podcasts or your partner likes true crime podcasts, this is fiction, but I won't go into details about the plot of the movie, but it very much feels like that. And I think it's very much the right time for this type of movie to really captivate people where, I mean, there were moments where we're watching it where my wife and I looked at it and we're like, wait, this this isn't real, right? Like it very much feels like that. Was it the HBO miniseries, The Fall or like the, the, the fictional version of the... This guy the who stares totally, the, what is the stairs yes the stairs? Yeah. yeah yeah something like that but yeah. like you, you know we get a lot of these of like here's the podcast about the crime and then the show about the thing and it's real but fictionalized and so you can tell when they fictionalize and it's not that great this is all fiction so it's all great <laughs> you know there's none of those like weird parts of it i mean just truly incredible and um again the performances are just so human and so real and every every single actor i think in it just ah i'm blown away it's it's rare i feel like where i i leave a a film and just think like i could never do that (laughs) you know like i'm not saying i can i'm a good actor but sometimes you watch a movie and you're like ah i could put on 100 pounds of muscle i could do that oh give me a you leave a james bond movie you think like i could drive like that you can't you never can but after finishing anatomy of fall it's like those are People working at the top of the craft. I am lucky to be alive to witness it. I was blown away. I think I think people will really, really like it. 
Um, it's also, uh, the French legal system is, uh, really, uh, actually seems pretty civilized. Like it's, uh, (laughs) it's pretty cool how the French legal system works. Very different than ours and is portrayed fairly accurately in the film. It's not like, you know, it's a French film. So it's not like Americans being like, and in French they do this. It's like, no, this is a French film in the French legal system. Ooh, what a film. Loved it. Uh, Anatomy of a Fall. Spoiler for the uh, end of the year film cast, but this was my number one movie of 2023. It was my number one. I agree with you 100%. It's a masterpiece. Anatomy of a Fall. Uh, all right. Um, my parting gift is another show. This is on uh, Max, the one to watch for HBO. It's uh, debuting this week. Maybe by you, the time you hear this, it will have already debuted. But I actually got um, some early screeners for the new season of True Detective. True Detective Night Country. And it's real good, you guys. Uh, I, like pretty much everybody, I think, uh, loved the first season of True Detective. And then they made more. And I was like, what? Well, those aren't good. Well, it's back. It's back to being amazing. Jodie Foster is in it. She can do no wrong, in my opinion. And this is Except really- for talk about the youth. <laughs> uh, she talked about the youth. I missed that. Did she? She has some quotes about the youth. she been canceled? That- I didn't know. I don't know. No, she's not canceled. She's just not the youth. <laughs> uh, well, she's definitely not the youth. Uh, she's phenomenal. And um, this is creepy and weird and it's kind of- supernatural-ish and it's it takes place in alaska where there's like weeks of no sun night country uh it's real good so if you fell off true detective like i did uh, it's back and it's good again uh so check out the new season on uh, max the one to watch for hbo all right we also got a listener suggested parting gift this was sent to us at dlc feedback at gmail.com it comes from ezra from portland who says, I know Jeff was looking for shows to watch with his kids a little while back after finishing Avatar The Last Airbender. Yeah, we did a rewatch of that. It was so good. Uh, I was in the same boat and was recommended The Dragon Prince on Netflix. It's an animated fantasy show for kids with elves and dragons and magic, and it features fun and interesting characters who go on a grand adventure. The main characters are positive role models, and the antagonists have shades of gray. The main themes are about peace, reconciliation, acceptance, and heroism. There are five seasons available with a sixth on the way. Check it out. Ezra writes, P.S. Okay, I just looked and it seems this was a parting gift on episode 253. So this would be a repeat. Still, it's worth checking out if you haven't. Well, Ezra, seeing as how we're on episode 530, uh, it's been a minute since we talked about it. So very much worthwhile to have a repeat uh, there you go. I think, show ha- Prince. I think that show has a lot of also some people from Avatar worked on it. I think that's my understanding is like, right. uh, yeah, some, some of the same uh, creative people, uh, were involved. Um, I never watched it. I, I tried to watch the first couple of episodes and it didn't grab me, but I got to give this show a better chance. I, I didn't know that there was already six seasons of the dragon. Maybe, Prince. uh, give it another 250 episodes of DLC and you'll get around to it this time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, All right. If you'd like to have your parting gift on our show, send it to us, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. All right. That's it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Jordan Miner and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for those fun bumpers. Our theme song 
was composed by White Cube, which is Jason Sherry and T. Ryan Arnold. You can get swag for the show at dlcswag.com, which was created by Jesse J. Anderson. Also, big thanks to our patrons who make this show possible. You can become one of them at patreon.com slash dlcpod. Our top tier of patrons, our hype train patrons, well, they get their own video game. What am I talking about? Well, let's explain. Christian, it's always interesting at the end of these episodes when we talk about games, you know, games that really deserve another mention. Uh, and do you remember the Sasan game? Um, did I ever tell you how I got my first copy of Sasan? I don't think you ever told me that story. I was walking in my neighborhood recently. No, I'm just kidding. I was going to be another curb fairy. Um, <laughs> that's, that's how I find everything from now on. Have I? Did I tell you how I got my first child? I was walking in my neighborhood. Somebody just left it on the sidewalk. <laughs> my now wife was just sitting there. And I, I came by three hours later and she was still there. And I was like, no way. Clearly broken. Finders but, keepers. I brought them home and they're great. Um, the first time I played Sasan, it, it like seems tried at this point, but it was literally my cousin's favorite game. And oh, so it really? seems like that story of like, oh, my cousin's uncle, my best friend's cousin has Sasan. You never believe how cool it was. But I remember going over to their house in Arizona and we would just find every moment we could to sneak away into the basement and we'd leave it running. I don't know how often you did that with consoles oh, yeah. back in the we day. We used to say, Sasan, it's on. <laughs> yes yes don't turn it off because something something sasan is on you know like every 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 time but yeah we would you know what 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 mom or what aunt no yeah okay we'll be right there and then like pause and then run away i loved absolutely loved the water effects in the game too like a lot of times water levels are not my fave but whoo Ooh, I love way ahead of its time in that 98% of the game was water levels. It was pretty, pretty wild how you were just constantly underwater in that game. Uh, but, but somehow they pulled it off because you didn't, you weren't going slower. You know, you didn't get that annoying super Mario water thing where you, you know, yeah. you're, you're, you're sinking and you're constantly annoyed by having to paddle, paddle, paddle. No, no, no. With Sasan, it's on. <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, though, I heard, you know, years later that the reason why we never got a sequel is because the studio also went underwater yeah. working on the graphics tech to make to make the game. Like that it was, was kind know, of a metaphor. It, it was the one they made and we never got another one yet. Yeah, it, it was it also it, it like the end out. of the game was like completely in the red. <laughs> <laughs> Which was wild because if you stuck around to the end of the credits, how you saw the last credit, it was actually sitting on the curb. A block away from my yeah, house. That's right. Yeah. You never would the have company known. at you the to... end, uh, you, fight, you fight chapter 11, <laughs> oh, which is on. a strange end boss. But, you know, the company and was the really you... into like – it was a kind of a call for help that game from the <laughs> production company. The way you actually – the way the company filed for chapter 11 though, oddly enough, was via tweet. They just posted uh, – <laughs> Way the way you time. do with all legal documents now. You just say way just... ahead of their time. <laughs> uh, the other game I wanted to talk about with you this week is uh, the Rob Rickman game. Remember that one? Uh... It was just a game all about getting Rickrolled. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Look, Jeff, I am never going to give you up, okay? But you keep up with these 
Name puns. I'm never going to let you down. I think you will, though. I think you will. I'm never going to say goodbye. Um, it was but, a time. Uh, there was a time, you know, early part, early internet era. You know, when uh, getting Rick rolled was uh, it was a big deal, and it was everywhere. And so somebody decided to gamify it. You know, <laughs> who who decided to gamify it? Well, Rob. Rob did. He's the, the Rick box man. art. The, the the box art was so enticing too. I I must have rented it so many times from Blockbuster because every time I'm like, yes, oh, this is going to be epic, and then you go home, we put it in, and sure enough, no, there's they, Robert they, Ashley again, they put just out, singing they put to out, me. They put out 47 different SKUs <laughs> that just looked like other games. So you thought you were buying Super Mario Brothers three or uh, Metal Gear Solid or something. And then uh, got home, put it on, and uh, the Rob Rickman game was on. I think I think they actually invented the e-ink display because I think it actually was the same box. It just changed. You'd leave and come back, and you'd be like, "Whoa, Mortal Kombat Four is out!" And then you'd get it, and then nope, Rick rolled yet again. They actually, had those many SKUs. I just thought it was just a <laughs> logistical nightmare. That game. <laughs> I mean, you saw that the. Uh, dump full of ets there's no dump full of uh rob rickman's because everybody thought they were other games you know Dude, they were all I actually snatched had up a friend i had a friend in junior high who legitimately thought they beat metal gear solid and we started talking about all the levels and they're like i was like those none of those are levels in metal gear solid you're <laughs> describing the you're describing the never gonna give you up music video to me. <laughs> like, no, no, no. Hideo Kojima's a genius. And I was like, You've been you've been Rob Rickman. My cousin's copy of Sasan actually wasn't Sasan. <laughs> <laughs> You're telling me that Sasan it wasn't on? <laughs> but we left it on because we were never gonna give it up, you know? All right, fair enough. Well, if you'd like to have your name turned into a video game, uh, I, I don't know why anybody would at this point. But if you would, eh, become a become a hype train patron at patreon.com slash dlcpod. All right. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. <laughs>